Choose beautiful bride in the way that all brides are beautiful on their wedding day. And she was so looking forward to the new life that she was creating with her brand new husband. Within a few months of the wedding though, she began to notice some strange things going on in her body. And it was disturbing enough that they went to see a doctor and the news that they got back from the doctor was just absolutely devastating. It was a condition that would continue to deteriorate that eventually would kill her. When they got this really, really tragic news, her husband took her home from the, the doctors, went to her room, packed up all of her goods, drove her to her parents' house, and with the words, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, still in his ears, he dropped her off at her parents' house and said, this is not what I signed up for. Life can do stuff like that to us. Life can be messy. Life can be tragic. And into the mess, God steps at Christmas. And so we're going to begin to roll Christmas around in our brains a little bit and to look at people who were integral to the first Christmas story and how God used messy situations and difficult times to show his plan and his purpose and even be gracious to them. So today we're going to look at a passage out of Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So fundamentally, the Bible is not a collection of fairy tales. It's a collection of stories about real people in real time and space and the ways that they encounter God. It's about God's redemptive story told through interactions with real people. So with this Joseph story, let's not make it a fiction. Let's read this story like it was experienced by a real guy. You're engaged to be married. Engagement back then was a little bit more complicated than it is today, but you get the general idea. And then it says, Mary was found to be pregnant. Well, there's a story there. I love the passive voice. She was found to be pregnant. There's a lot of meaning in that. So who discovered that Mary was pregnant? Was it Mary? 
was it her mother? And remember, even though we generally don't like to think of this, Mary was really young. At this time, girls were usually 12 or 13 when they became engaged to be married. So it's really possible, especially in a conservative society, that Mary didn't even know exactly how all of this worked. If you're Joseph, and probably quite a bit older, near as you can tell, there's only one way to get pregnant. Interesting note, though, there are lots of stories of women who get pregnant by gods, lots of them. In every country, every different religion, there are stories of women that get pregnant by gods. But in every single case, save one, that's because the god assumes human form and gets her pregnant the old-fashioned way. This is a different story. This is the only one that's different because this is not a story about how God becomes a man and gets Mary pregnant the old-fashioned way. God creates a new life in her womb. That's very different than any other thing that's happened. A little sidelight, just in case you're wondering, the virgin birth, which is what we're talking about uh, with Jesus, is not the same as the Immaculate Conception. They're, they're not the same thing at all. The Immaculate Conception is a doctrine that relates to how Mary is born. It's really kind of interesting, and we can talk about it someday. But for, day, for today, just know it's a different thing entirely and only believed really within the, within the Roman Catholic Church. So God creates a new life in Mary's womb. Now, being Jesus followers and having heard the story so often and having had Paul unpack the theology for us, we have a category for this. But what did Joseph think when Mary turns up pregnant? What was he supposed to think? What would you think? Well, actually, we know what he thought. He thought she cheated on him and he knew what he needed to do. But he was concerned about how he did it. There's not much written about Joseph, but what is written about him paints a picture of a pretty amazing person. It says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is not what Joseph signed up for. There would always be a question mark over his marriage. People would always talk behind his back. They'd point and whisper in that cruel way that mean people do, in the way that you can tell by people's body language, whether they're saying something positive or something negative. He knew what the right thing to do was. And yet, there seemed to be this thing nagging at him. He was well within his rights to reject her and humiliate her publicly. No one would have thought twice about it. And yet, it was technically correct. But was it right? Why add insult to injury? Why not be as gracious as possible? Her life was already ruined. Why make it even worse with a public humiliation? And so the story says he had in mind to divorce, to divorce her quietly. And it was the most compassionate thing to do, given the circumstances. So the fact that he's going to handle it like this, what does this tell us about Joseph? He was kind. 
He was caring. He was able to be his best self when he could have been angry. He took the high road, even when he had been betrayed. And then there's this little line in verse 20. But after he had considered this, Joseph didn't rush into the decision. It wasn't made in the heat of the moment. Ever push the send button and immediately wish you hadn't? Ever heard some words come out of your mouth and then thought, oh no, did I say that out loud? Ever try to excuse your behavior by saying, well, I was angry when I said or did that, as if that makes it better? Oh, you can't control your rage and everyone's supposed to go, don't worry about it. Joseph didn't do any of those things. He didn't rush the decision. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let's not miss this. Joseph's ability to control his anger, Joseph's thoughtfulness, the, count, the fact that maybe he counted to 10 before he acted, all of those things created time and space for God to work. Do you remember when you wrote the nasty text or the nasty email and you didn't push the send key? Or maybe you wrote a nasty note and you put it in the drawer and closed it? And the next day, after you had thought about it and slept on it, weren't you so glad you hadn't sent it? Joseph created space for God to work. Imagine how the story in the world would be different if the story read, Mary was found to be pregnant and Joseph divorced her. So she went back to live with her parents who refused to acknowledge her as their daughter anymore. And then the best case scenario, Mary lived on the street and died before the baby was born. Or the worst case and somewhat more likely scenario, her neighbors took her out and stoned her to death as an adulteress. Imagine the difference if Joseph hadn't pondered this. Imagine the difference if Joseph hadn't controlled his anger. Imagine the difference if Joseph stopped and weighed what was legitimate to do, but what was right. Imagine the difference. Now think about how you react and how your reaction can change the course of history, at least for the people involved. That's a pretty sobering thought. And so an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. It's not what you think. It wasn't another man. It was a miracle of God. And because of this miracle, he's going to use this to save the people from their sins. And then Matthew quotes a, re a reference from Isaiah. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Have you ever had a crazy dream? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph and wake up after that? I mean, wow, that, that, last of, that last glass of wine, that was a mistake. I mean, what would you have thought if you had just had a dream like that? When Joseph woke up, though, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This could get really messy. And the messiness isn't going to change. Joseph just decides 
that he'll enter into it. Joseph knows, he's contemplated what life will be like. And he says, okay, God, I'll walk with you through the messiness. Joseph trusts God in the mess. What Joseph is willing to believe and what he will learn more and more is that God doesn't always call us to the easy path or the least stressful way and that God can actually be very, very present in the messiness. We think that God isn't in chaos. I mean, I think at the beginning of time, the scripture starts with the world, the universe being formless and void, and the Holy Spirit is brooding over that chaos, and then the creative power of God goes to work and brings order. There's order, and that's what we assume that God does. But in this situation, it's like there's order, and then the Holy Spirit brings chaos. It's like he's deconstructing creation. And it went from formless and void to order to formless and void again. In order for God to bring about recreation. And so oftentimes... Because he's in the business of recreating thing, things, God is in the mess. God is in the chaos. And that confronts our sensibilities a bit because we think God brings order. If our lives are chaotic and messy, we're usually praying to God to change that. But what if God is in the mess? This could get messy for Joseph. And it does. Because the very next thing that happens is three really important visitors come to pay a call, the Magi. Now, maybe they were kings, probably not. They were definitely astrologers and scientists and astronomers. Whatever they were, they were very important, very well-educated, very upper-class people. These are not the type of people that Joseph is used to hanging around with. It would be like, you know, the knock on your door and it was Russell Wilson or Oprah you'd be a little intimidated by that. They show up, and all of a sudden, it becomes messy politically. And then Joseph gets another dream that warns him that he needs to take the family and as fast as possible go to Egypt. And he does, because all of the baby boys then in Bethlehem were slaughtered by Herod. It got messy in ways that Joseph couldn't even imagine. And as he walks through all these things, because he's a real dude, don't you think Joseph might have had some second thoughts? This had to be really challenging to Joseph's faith. It would be to mine. What is up, God? Do you have stuff like that in your life right now? Faith-challenging stuff? What sees Joseph through all of the messiness what sees Joseph through all of the faith-challenging stuff is a sense of calling. God has called him to be the father of this baby. Now, calling, let's demystify that a little bit. What's the call of God on your life? Well, I can say a couple of things that I'm absolutely sure is the call of God on your life. For you to be faithful to the promises you made to take responsibility for your actions and your feelings, to be your best God-honoring self, to stop making excuses for being spiritually lazy, 
to do the right thing, period. To start doing what you say is important to you. To stop wasting your life on ultimately trivial things. I'm relatively certain that that's God's calling on your life right now. And there may be other things that are unique to you too, but I'm sure of those things. Joseph picks up the call of God and does it even though it ends up being very messy and very challenging. I love what one commentator wrote about Joseph. He said, it wasn't the seed of Joseph that was planted in Mary's womb, but when the baby was born, when Herod sent soldiers to murder him, when the family had to flee the country, when they made the long journey home, when they needed a roof over their heads and sandals on their feet and food on their table, Joseph was the man to get it done. Joseph didn't have to be the dad he was. He had every reason not to be, except that he had a calling, and he fulfilled it. Much later on, after the story unfolds, Luke, when he tells the story, traces Jesus' genealogy through Joseph. Partly, they live in a patriarchal society, but partly because Joseph really became Jesus' dad. Joseph was an adoptive father. He could look at Jesus out there on the playground and go, that one is mine. And he's mine because I chose him. His son, he was very aware, was on loan from God. But really, all of them are. They're all on loan from God. We don't get to do what we want. We get to do what God wants and to see God's desire for them come to fruition. In some ways, every child has two fathers. And blessed is the child who can see a resemblance between the two. Like Joseph, we have our kids in trust from God. Maybe you don't have kids, or maybe your kids are far away. But never forget that you take baptismal vows. Every time we baptize a child, like we did a couple of weeks ago, I ask the parents if they promise to raise the child up so that the child will come to know Jesus. And then I turn to the congregation and I say, the Christian nurture of this child can't be done by these two alone. Do you, as members of the body of Christ, promise to do your part in bringing this child up in the care and nurture of Christ? If that is your intent, answer, we do. And you always answer, we do. They're all your kids. We all have responsibility for that. We all get to show them the reality of their other father. This Advent season, we have the chances we always do, providing we take it, to reflect on our lives a little bit, particularly in light of preparing to celebrate God's entrance into our world and all that can mean for us. Joseph, looking at that baby, his son, the first Christmas, couldn't have had any idea what plans God had and just how messy it would get. But Christmas really is about messiness, isn't it? From the first one to this one. When you're trying to figure out how to live your life in crazy circumstances and hoping to find some peace and joy and hope of the season, to the impact 
that following Jesus will have on your life and the lives of people around us. The glory of Christmas is that Jesus steps into the messiness of our lives, and through him, God is recreating all of us. So let me ask you three questions. What is the messiness in your life that actually might be God at work? Number two, what could your calling be right now? And number three, what is one lesson from Joseph that you can apply to your life this week?